0: Black ball. Black ball. Black ball. Black ball. Black ball. Black. 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 Is James Z. E. Fury, and this is Blackball. When Russia conducted their illegal invasion of Ukraine, and I'm talking about Crimea actually, when they annexed Crimea. we began to see regular Ukrainian people sort of step up and do a job they probably never imagined themselves doing before Crimea was annexed. When Russia invaded in February of this year, a similar trend started to emerge where I would notice, at least through my social media contacts, a, a huge spike in, in sort of patriotism um, from uh, Ukrainian Canadians and Ukrainians living outside Ukraine, and obviously Ukrainians living inside Ukraine. One of the more fascinating aspects of the war actually has been how all of the conventional wisdom regarding Russia's military versus Ukraine um, centered around how much of a disadvantage Ukraine seemed to have on paper. And um, I, when I had John Spencer on, he uh, informed me that much of the credit for the um, some of the successes that Ukraine's been able to muster during this war has been as a direct result of the bravery of regular men and women who joined uh, civilian forces or did whatever they could behind the scenes to sort of make, it, um, make the road to a Ukrainian victory even more apparent. My next guest is such one of those people. He's a Ukrainian-Canadian. He is, um, I said CEO, I'm not sure if he's a CEO or not, but he's basically one of the main guys at a place called the Heart of the World, Ukraine. And his name is Alex Feziak. Alex, how are you, buddy? I'm good. Now, you're coming to us from Kiev, and before we started, I was like, you live in the dopest apartment in a war-torn area, but it turns out that's just a backdrop. <laughs> it it is just
1: the backdrop yeah i'm I'm not trying
0: to give away your secret ingredients here but but when you walked away you disappeared and i was like this is very strange and then i realized i'm not (laughs) i'm not on mushrooms this time and it's i went for
1: a dip in the pool yeah that's right
0: that's right um i wanted to start as i told you off air uh with i was reading i'm going to put up this daily mail article as i was doing uh, my deep dive on you today and it's kind of a mouthful i'll try to read it competently and swiftly Um, But there were so many interesting caveats of this, and I think you sort of touched on it before we went on air, but I'm just going to read it out loud now. Exclusive. Ukrainian family from Canada tells how they quit their day jobs to mix Molotov cocktails, uh, run drones and bulletproof vests to the front lines, and even dance the tango with troops after Russia's invasion of their homeland. Alex Speziak and his family were raised in Canada but have returned to their homeland of Ukraine to help support troops fighting Russia. The former IT salesman, 54, and his Ukrainian... This is the part, this is one of the parts. And his Ukrainian girlfriend, Natalka, teamed up with his UK school teacher daughter, Sonia Feziak, uh, to provide aid to the frontline battalions. I'm going to stop myself there for a second. Um, and, and we shared a little bit of a laugh, but it is kind of true. The way they word that, you would never know, <laughs> you would never know that your fiance Natalka, um, has her very own independent and really impressive story when it comes to this kind of work. Can we you any points, but also doing it by saying the truth so we can clarify the important role of Natalka in, in what you guys are doing today?
1: Right. Um, <laughs> to unpack that article, it's interesting that you found that article. Um, that um, is a sort of a, a long winding story about that article, but it was basically through uh, one of my daughter's contacts, uh, a reporter that works at, uh, at the Daily Daily Mail, I believe it is, and uh, so he interviewed uh, Natalka and I, and, uh, you know, we were quite accurate, uh, you know, uh, with all the details. And then, you know, they, they post the article and, uh, you know, the Daily Mail is very sort of tabloidish, right? Yeah. So it, I'm not saying... It's they're, they're not facts in there. It's just the way they you know, utilize the wording and the way they position certain things. It's actually quite, uh, quite Every, funny at times. Right.
0: I'm going to put it up again. Sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. I'll get back to you in a second. But when I put it, it feels like there's, first of all, their headline is like a thousand words. Right. It's really, it must be weird to get on a phone. And second of all, all the bullet points that go after that. They were just headlines, again, that they decided not to use. <laughs> That's what it right, is. right. They write them like that, right? And it's very, it's supposed to get clicked. Well, again, you
1: know, when when the, re- the reporter, I guess, gets on the line with us and he starts asking all these questions, we answer all his questions thinking, okay, he's going to take all of this data uh, because the information spanned, you know, from 2014 to the present. And the present was, uh, I think it was like the first month and a half or second month of the war so it's like you know the entire world was on edge everyone was coming here to figure out what was going on reporters and you know it was it was sort of a lot of a lot of information
0: yeah when you when you're dealing with a tabloid reporter just remember if you happen to mention molotov cocktails it's probably going to go in the headline
1: it's going to (laughs) go in the headline yeah you probably saw some of the photos in there as well so yeah, I'll I'll just mention the Molotov cocktail piece. So okay. uh, Natalka, Natalia Prudskaya, uh, my uh, my fiance, uh, she um, she's been helping the war effort. Uh, Heart of the World Ukraine uh, is her group. Uh, it was basically uh, sort of um, uh, thought of uh, that that name uh, during the Maidan. She was. Uh, actively an active participant uh, at the Maidan. Uh, And yes, she made Molotov cocktails for the, uh, the guys who were pushing back on the uh, government riot, riot troops. So there are photos and uh, uh, that's what she was doing. She was a big believer in change uh, that uh, the government uh, was, uh, was basically, you know, thoroughly corrupt, completely aligned with Russia and they had to go, and uh, that whole process started uh, during the Maidan. So she, yes, she was she was part of that movement.
0: Okay. Um, now let's move. Uh, one of the things that I talked to you about today over the phone was that I was a little surprised. I, I don't know why I, I didn't unearth this the last time I spoke with you on this show. Perhaps I did, but you know, marijuana. Um. Now, but the idea, the idea that you are um, helping the military import. Uh, badly needed equipment, but it doesn't stop there. You actually have fostered personal in like face-to-face relationships with the people on the front line that are the recipients of your equipment that, I mean, I don't know much about how the dynamics of these things work, but that's pretty rare, isn't it?
1: Um, so yeah, that, you, you know what? It's interesting because we just do what we do day in, day out. And I, I was sort of surprised that you were surprised, you know, in an odd way. Um, Did you because stupid? No, well, maybe. Well, no, I don't think. I do. I'm just joking, I'm just joking. Go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. No, but what, I, what I'm getting at is that um, this is the way it's always been done here uh, in Ukraine. So the volunteers have always filled in the gap. And early on, like when the Ukrainian army back in 2014 was getting up on their feet, uh, the Ukrainian volunteer uh, groups, uh, they did just almost everything, um, you know, with regards to, you know, getting uniforms, food, uh, any kind of supplies, um, you know, even, even some military gear, uh, they, would, they would do that, they would get vehicles and so forth, right? So that network uh, that was established early on has, has always existed. Um, so if I fast forward to February 24th of this year, um, uh, with Natalka specifically in heart of the world, Ukraine. Um, prior to that, she was, uh, you know, she was trying to kind of phase out, uh, of, of sort of providing that assistance because it, it was all encompassing her, her entire life was, was, uh, revolved around that. Uh, so she wanted to kind of sort of go down, a you know, her own way, her own path, uh, the war breaks out, and of course, you know any brigade or, or military unit that she was helping in the past uh, that now greatly needed assistance. Of course, her phone rang, and that's why we got reengaged and pulled back uh, into uh, into providing assistance. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a lot of these people, these soldiers, um, they were veterans, actually. Right? So they they themselves. Had fought, she built relationships with these people at the front lines, right? Over all those years, and um, and they retired basically. Uh, the war breaks out, all the veterans jump right back in, right? Uh, so again, she had all those contacts. Uh, everybody knew who she was. Uh, not only that, like she and Heart of the World, Ukraine is a very small group of people, which I'm part of. Yeah. Uh, there are many, many other Ukrainian. Uh, you know, volunteer groups that uh, have origins right back to 2014 as well. Um, And it's just, that's just the the way the mechanism works. So just, I'll just touch a little bit more on sort of the other comment you made about uh, who we contact or who the connection is with, right? So the connection is uh, with frontline soldiers. Uh, It could be, um, you know, the leader of the battalion, Uh, it's not generals or anything like that uh, but it's basically higher level people uh, in these battalions and brigades uh, that will send us a note and say um, hey we're really low on uh, supplies of some sort right Uh, and then we take it from there Um, it is a personal connection Um, I am starting to have a personal connection with some of these folks at the front Uh, James Chalice which you also know um, you know, uh, Canadian boy, he, you know, he's, he's sort of my personal connection now being Canadian, right? Yeah. Uh, Natalka has a, a multitude of these, uh, people that she knows. We help about, about 22 plus brigades in the Ukrainian military. Wow. Uh, and, and pretty much most of those she has, uh, connections with, uh, That's important, not only because, well, obviously you have the connection with those individuals, uh, but there's a trust factor there. uh, And we don't just, you know, uh, gather donations and just purchase something and just send it out randomly to someone we don't know. We actually do know the people that receive it and utilize, you know, the the goods that we send them.
0: Yeah, the um, James uh, Chalice, by the way, um, for people that don't know. He's a Canadian citizen. He's not Ukrainian citizen. And he basically decided that he was going to go and fight uh, for Ukraine. Um, he's a Canadian military guy, correct? Mm-hmm. How common is his story? Um,
1: so there, there are quite a few uh, foreign fighters uh, here. Uh, and basically um, what they do is um, uh, they will either uh, join the Foreign Legion – uh, or they will try to get, get in with a uh, Ukrainian battalion or brigade. Uh, James, uh, early on, decided, because uh, and James will be on, he'll explain his story, so I don't want to get too deep into it, but uh, he originally showed up to Kiev and to Ukraine early on uh, to basically facilitate uh, uh, just learning, teaching. He, he was a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. And then basically from that, he joined a battalion, with actually his students, which is an amazing story. That's another story. That's a movie. It it is. It it really is. Um, So he, the students were going off to war and they said, James, James was actually going to join like another battalion. And they begged and pleaded and said, just, we've got this connection with you and why don't you just come with us? And uh, he let me know. He goes, I'm going to go with my students basically.
0: How inspiring is that for the students? you know
1: oh it's 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 remarkable like you know your your point of the movie uh there was another story I, I may have mentioned this the last time around Is this so the I'm trying to re-
0: the japanese mercenaries or something
1: no 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 it's it's with it's with james specifically but with his students right everything they he taught them and then i think about a month and a half or two months in and you got to remember these are people that are it guys reporters right lawyers all joined to fight they're, they're not professional soldiers right uh this guy like think about it this guy from canada shows up and sort of teaches a class and takes him through the drills and shows him a bunch of stuff and this is the way you do it and then they're off in in a battlefield right so there is there there is a, a few times where um you know they, they were actively in battle zones taking russian positions and uh and I was in awe. Like I was like, James, do you hear what you're telling me? You, you've actually taken a Russian position with a bunch of students that you taught in Kiev, which is it's amazing. Yeah,
0: I read an article, uh, I think it was about four or five months ago, about how sometimes when nations are at war and uh, foreign fighters are coming in, that weeding process becomes super important. Because there are some that that want to do it for reasons that have nothing to do with liberating a country. James's story is so unique and interesting to me because he wasn't asking to go to the front lines or nothing like that. He was asked to go. And so it makes me feel kind of, you know, more confident in his role as a person uh, who's not from Ukraine, but fighting on behalf of of their country, uh, knowing that he wasn't there, you know, just raring to go, you know.
1: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, I, I've met a few like that. Um and, and the, the, the theme of what you're talking about is just, you know, Yahoos, they show up it's a war zone and it pulls all sorts of people into these kinds of things. So, um, I've heard it from James. I've heard it from other folks that I know a lot of these individuals that, uh, you know, they, they show up, they have a particular maybe something in their head that they think they're going to do or what they're going to see or how they're going to get involved. And, um, um, they, they either leave or they get themselves into some major, major trouble. Right. Um, James is, is the real thing. Uh, he, I can't, I'm so proud of him, and I'm proud that he's my friend. Um, we help him uh, as much as we can. I'll, I'll tell you a little side story, and I'll, I'll 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 possibly get choked up about it as well. So um, early on in the war, um, we were able to raise funds fairly quickly, right? The spotlight was on what was going on, Ukraine, a lot of my friends. Um, so I, I mentioned this to you, James, that we, to date, we've raised about $175,000 U.S., uh, and basically with that, we've purchased uh, uh, mostly uh, used vehicles, pickup trucks, SUVs and so forth through for the uh, Ukrainian military, uh, drones uh, and night vision systems and then medical supplies. But th- those are the, the key uh, you know, things that we purchase. Um, and recently uh, there was a, a, a brigade uh, that was in Bakhmut, which is, is just brutal out there. And they had requested uh, radios, Motorola uh, walkie-talkies, secure walkie-talkies, right? Um, Difficult to get a hold of in Ukraine. They're all sold out. Uh, Even in Poland, it's difficult. Um, And so we were tasked to, hey, can you guys, can contacts of Natalkas, um, can you folks get us some radios? So we searched around and we acquired uh, 16 of these radios. It was roughly about uh, just under $8,000 U.S., uh, and we, we purchased them in the UK. Uh, so we purchased the the, the radios uh, through my own account. And then we had volunteers that brought these radios to uh, to Ukraine. Uh, unfortunately, uh, th- it, it took a long time to, to get the funding, to get the donations in, to purchase the radios, to bring the radios in. So by the time I we went through all this, uh, the rotation already happened with the guys that were in Bakhmut, the one battalion. So they're already in Kiev. Now, Natalka, um, you know, she overheard a discussion I was having with James a couple of days ago uh, that they're, um, I, I can't get into too many details uh, because it's, it's, well, it's okay. uh, the safety's involved, it's classified. right? Um, it's
0: classified. I got
1: it. it, it in essence, it is uh, what he's doing and, and who he's doing it with. But uh, he has a, a small team uh, that, that are doing some very strategic things uh, and they're low on gear. And one of the things they're low on uh, is, uh, is radios. And so, uh, you know, uh, James is a, he's a great guy. He, he knew that we had brought these radios in. Didn't ask because he knows it's already spoken for, right? And um, Tuck overheard this. She she did feel oh, there was an uneasiness with me to, to hear James say that, right? So when she went to deliver the radios, uh, it, it wasn't just one battalion; it was a bunch of uh, groups of battalions, right? Um, one of the battalions said, uh, look, we're back, we're going back in, like on a rotation. Uh, but we don't need all those radios. If, if, you know, please give these things, uh, to people that need it in, in the hottest zones. So she was able to pull two of those radios from those guys. And I let James know yesterday. Um, he was, he was in tears. Um, he, um, he mentioned to me, they lost a couple of guys because of lack of communication um, which made me feel bad because it, it's one of those things that, you know, if I could have, would things have changed? Uh, but we can only do what we can do, right? So uh, we sent those radios to him yesterday. He's going to get those uh, today. So it, it just wow. it's those kind of interactions where uh, you're making a difference, a small uh, difference, but you're making a difference. And in that case, it could potentially save his life and his team's uh, lives.
0: Yeah, that, those are the little sort of um, caveats that I, I think are, are super important. Even when you're talking about it and you're explaining it in a way where like, like you had the thought of, oh, what if I was more, um, you know, what if, what, what if I got these sooner? Could I save lives? That, that is a strong indicator that your motivations are sound. Um, and uh, and and it's funny because uh, um, you're you're also very humble, so I don't expect you to be like, yes, James, that's exactly it. <laughs> but but it's nice, but that's what the audience is hearing when they when they hear you talk. So I I think I think that's great. But and there was never really a question of what motivated you, right? Because everything that I've read and and me speaking with you, you have a love for 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 Ukraine. Like it's it's you are one of those interesting fortunate people that probably considers two nations his home, right? Like there is. You know, the, you
1: know, yeah, I, I, I do now. I, I you know, you, that types of question. I've given it a lot of thought, right? Because there, there's some friends of mine that are just kind of looking at me sideways going, Fancy. Like, what are you really doing? You should be golfing with us right now. Like what's going on. Right. Like, you know, you, the, you best have, I can do, you, the best
0: I can do fellas is the background. Okay.
1: That's the best <laughs> I can do. <laughs> yeah, that's the best I can do. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, um, well, yeah, I, you know, to answer your question, yes, I, I, I love this country as much as I love Canada. Uh, I feel at home here. I feel at home in Canada. I feel uh, the time is now for me to be able to do something to play a part in in helping uh, this country, right? Um, you know, I may have mentioned this the last time around. There's there's kind of these thoughts in the back of my mind, right? Uh, growing up in Canada to parents that came to Canada after World War II, uh, we we were raised in a family where, you know, the war unfortunately was discussed a lot. World War II, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, grandparents that were murdered, uh, family members that were killed. Um, my uncle, my dad's brother, died in Auschwitz. Um, you know, his other uh, brother uh, was basically in a multitude of concentration concentration camps. Right, so that was always kind of discussed in our family. Right. And so this war breaks out and that's all, all those thoughts and memories and emotions are all kind of floating around in the back of my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was interesting because when I came here, um, you know, my mother was here and uh as well as my father uh visiting and um you know, this is prior to the war uh the family members here that met them you know they tell their story the people here they didn't experience war right uh you know the particular generation i'm saying right and then all of a sudden the war breaks out and to me that's like it's almost like i would never say i'm comfortable with it but because of that that family history right in in all of that it's almost like yeah it's I don't, I don't the same. know if I'm coming across properly.
0: I think I got it. I think um, sometimes everything has a silver lining, even bad things. And the war that broke out probably served as an important connect connecting tissue between generations. So they could sort of be on the same page. Now I get you, Grandpa. You know, like that kind of That's
1: thing. That's exactly it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was that. And then just, you know, again, you know, Ukrainian background uh, and just my desire to, to help. Right. Uh, there we, was something about that
0: uh we uh a viewer drew um is mentioning ukraine is now working on a domestically produced drone not better than the turkish drones but will be great nonetheless um i'm using that comment to pivot to drones uh, in a way because um i find it really maybe i'm just like um maybe i get excited over things that aren't uh you know all that exciting but but the uh but when you told me the last time i had you on in our talks previous to the interview and i think during the interview as well that you were uh, help facilitating um, surveillance drones, like, like sort of like consumer type drones, right? Like the, the ones that are about the size like, like this kind of thing. And, um, right. and, and, that, and, I, and maybe I should ask you where it came from, and that they were being, um, the use of them for surveillance was, was important, but also they found a way to make it so that these drones could, even though they weren't specifically built for this, um, were like now uh, dropping grenades onto, onto Russian troop positions. I, I don't know why I find that's like MacGyver's your uh your your sergeant like it's amazing and I don't know am I giddy because I'm just stupid or is
1: it like a re- <laughs> should I be this giddy over this development like well it it, it it's no it, it's it's a fact and it's very interesting um you know to us it's just commonplace mm-hmm. um to us what I mean by like every every battalion has got a team that understands and works with drones uh and e- either these drones are used for reconnaissance or the drones are used to drop uh, drop grenades like it's not it's not one it's almost every group within ukraine army has a team within it that that does that right um, now this is done with consumer grade drones so drones that we've acquired they're all consumer-grade. So Mav- Mavic, uh, uh, DJI Mavic 2s, uh, Mavic 3s mostly, um, and some others. But they're consumer drones that, uh, that these men use. Uh, I'll, I'll just kind of add a little bit to it. Um, the drones, what they do is uh, they have a particular firmware software on the drone, mm-hmm. uh, factory software. Uh, what the uh, groups do is they reprogram the software uh, to utilize a drone in a certain way. Uh, when you do that, uh, it's less prone to, uh, to basically jamming, uh, oh, okay. by the Russians. Yeah. So they have to, they have to do that. So there was a bit of a crossover point where a particular, uh, firmware, the latest firmware, it was, uh, at, at one point you couldn't, you couldn't hack into it basically. You couldn't reprogram it. Oh, okay. Uh, so they had to basically, uh, look for just the previous firmware on those drones. Um, We also uh, have help and know uh, the Aero -Aero Rosvitka guys. These are the folks your listener mentioned uh, will be producing their own drones. Uh, They have been producing their own drones since 2014. Uh, You can Google them. They have have their own Facebook page. Um, They came to us because they had a special ops and they needed a special type of vehicle. And so we went and acquired a vehicle like that in uh, in Poland for them. Um, but yeah, yeah, they're 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 and there's other teams as well in Ukraine that are working on this. Like you got to remember, well, remember this just the fact, right? All the the sophisticated weapons that have come here to Ukraine, uh, Ukrainians know how to use them extremely well now. From yeah, javelins, from
0: the get-go, they seem very kind of resourceful. Like I mean, you know
1: right yeah you know so what i'm getting at is like like you know and i remember the first chat i had with james and others uh i'm you know i asked him i go I'm hearing about all these javelins right i'm going have you have you used the javelin and he goes i played with one i never actually shot one right in training right wow. uh because he was in afghanistan he goes you know but here Right, just with javelins, like Ukraine Ukrainians have such an expertise in utilizing that particular weapon. That's one of right. You can go from that to HIMARS, right? So um, Ukrainian know-how uh, is like I would safely say, like no other on um, in you know in, in the world, right? Yeah, that, that a lot of these manufacture Yeah, like a lot of these manufacturers that have made this equipment. Um, I don't think they even had, uh, you know, like no one really utilized it to the extent that Ukrainians have during this war.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You, something else that's really resonated is um is there such thing as a Ukrainian pessimist? Because if so, I haven't seen one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> really. Like I you know, I, I've been and I and I, I've watched countless hours of of footage of civilians and uh, military leaders, and I've interviewed uh, Ilya Ponomarenko and um, mm-hmm. Rita Kudik. I think her name is. Uh, she, you know, she's mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, like I, I feel like sometimes I feel like okay, did these guys all take a class? You know, like where were the media training focused primarily on building confidence and morale among the Ukrainian people? Because this is crazy. <laughs> like everyone seems. So optimistic. And I'm wondering just your personal thoughts on that. Um, are you like me? Do you kind of feel like however this ends and when Russia goes back to uh, their country and uh, uh, you, you, sorry, Ukraine is liberated, is that going to be seen in hindsight as one of the key ingredients for this victory is just that the popul- the citizenry itself acted as this collective of confident patriots and how do you beat that?
1: Yeah, that's, that's that's a great question. But I I, uh, I I'm inspired day in day out by not only bol- Ukrainian volunteers, um, but uh, just regular people. Like there's moments that uh, uh, I experience where air raid sirens go off and everybody is calm, everyone's going about their business. Uh, if somebody needs help, uh, people just, they, they pitch right in. Um, it, it seems to basically, you know, kind of, uh, it doesn't matter about class, right? Mm. Um, you could be someone, you know, driving an expensive car, or an inexpensive car, it doesn't matter, right? Everybody kind of just understands what what needs to be done or if somebody needs some help. Um, they just, they dive right in, Right. Um, and, and I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, if that's a Ukrainian thing or if if that just comes about um, by by just the people that know their uh, their existence is uh, is in, is in uh, jeopardy. Right. Yeah. Um, you've you've got to you've got to basically keep it together. Right. Because uh, it's it's brutal, this war. And, um, you know, I, I try to not that I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not running around key to trying to motivate people, but um, when we get into those difficult discussions in groups, um, I basically, again, I, I pull from the history that I am familiar with, Ukrainian history, that is, and my parents and so forth, right? Um, Ukraine's been a, com- a, a country that has been brutalized by Russia, mm. right? By Stalin, by the Bolsheviks, by the Tsars of Russia, right? Um, And other countries as well, right? Um, And, and this is the first time in history, that, you know, we feel we have a strong army, the world knows pretty much who we are. And, and that's motivational that that's that motivates us to basically, you know, uh, fight this extremely uh, powerful enemy right um and but but it's the other the way i also also explain it is it's it's really there are other elements in history that ukrainian army has gone against um it was actually the bolshevik army but but this is the really the first time in history where ukrainians uh you know formed into groups like a, a proper army um can mm-hmm. basically you know fight directly with with russians right um and there's something to be said about that right because you're protecting your country uh you're you're pushing you know trying to get obviously them uh them out of the country right
0: yeah no the honestly the, the 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 examples of patriotism and uh collectivism in a positive sense that i've seen you know um for anything that i've ever criticized uh lightly uh the ukrainian side for all the all that other stuff totally overshadows any critiques that I may have. Um, I didn't like the photo shoot for, I don't know if it was GQ or whatever it was. I, I thought that was um, uh, tone deaf, but whatever. Um, and then the other thing that, the only other thing that actually, maybe I can talk to you about this a little bit because um, it could be that I just don't understand that that this is a natural byproduct of being invaded. But I see a lot of videos of uh, Russian mm-hmm. sho- soldiers being like mm-hmm. ambushed because they're just, they're eating or something. And mm-hmm. um and it's like almost comical or celebratory when their bodies get blown apart. And 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 is that just a byproduct of war? Or do you think that maybe like, like some – I'm not saying that – listen, I'm not saying that defines anything or anyone. But I find it troubling. Um, is that just like, well, James, they're being invaded. You have to understand that these people are being like, you know, are killing Ukrainian people. and Like, you know, it's a tough question. It's almost philosophical, but –
1: Yeah, I've seen those same videos. I've also seen videos that the Russians post as well. And it's not a tit for tat. Um, A a bit of it, yeah, how do I explain this? A bit of it is Ukrainian sense of humor in a dark sense. There is that type of sense of humor here, right? Yeah, I'm I'm picturing um, the guy
0: moving the landmine with the cigarette hanging out of his mouth.
1: Right, tough. right. Yeah. yeah. And the, yeah, uh, I, I posted a video where there was uh, there was a Russian soldier taking a dump and they dropped a bomb on him. I laughed. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you to know, go. tough way to go. It is a tough way to go. Yeah, he sort of lost his shit. Anyway, we're moving on. Um, so, yeah, it, a bit of it is that sense of humor, I feel. And a bit of it is uh, the war uh and the brutality of the war is a way to cope i guess sometimes i feel like
0: the communications that uh Zelensky is um undertaking is uh has proven himself to be correct that strategy rallying the international community uh inspiring people i'm just curious uh, and i'm spitballing here but I, uh, you know how powerful it would be uh, because we often hear about you know the Russian soldiers are not even being told that it is a war and their families back. And this is at the beginning. Anyways, their families uh, are like almost surprised sometimes to find out they're in Ukraine. And I've also I heard some heartwarming words from um, a Ukrainian official back in like April or something talking about how. You know, before we uh, before we just blanket uh, all of Russia as the enemy, we have to understand that the boys that are fighting on that side are probably being lied to. They're probably not prepared. You know, they're probably not they're probably frightened. and And I wonder if Zelensky uh, speaking directly to them might be a better idea than videos of Russian soldiers taking shits and then being brought
1: <laughs> up. Uh, right. You're OK. So you're basically saying that, that Zelensky should sort of speak to the Russian population. Yeah. That, that's sort of what you're getting. At. Yeah. Uh, he, he does, in fact, do that. OK. Um, in, mm-hmm. in some of his addresses, um, he will actually uh, speak Russian. So he'll hmm. he'll change over to Russian and he'll basically will look at the camera and he'll deliver a message uh, to Russians. Right? Okay. Uh, and it's not a message that we will destroy you. It, it's basically letting them know what really is going on. So I've seen that time and, and time again uh, mm-hmm. with, with regards to that. You know, look, I, um, everything that I've seen Zelensky and his wife, by the way, uh, do, mm-hmm. I, I think is extremely admirable. Um, you know, they've got to get the message out. And I think uh, kudos to them. They're, they're doing a really good job in, in getting that message out to the world uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that, uh, you know, the messaging is, is uh, as clear as it can be, as understandable as it can be. Um, and, you know, I, I was at um, uh, a tech conference in Lisbon and Zelensky's uh, wife was uh, one of the keynote speakers and she just did an amazing job uh, just delivering that message and letting everyone know that uh, uh, you know what is going on in Ukraine and how you can help Ukraine and and so forth. So um, yeah, they've got to they've got to do that, right? So
0: yeah, uh, and I'm not ever looking to arbitrarily uh, criticize Zelensky or anything. I do sometimes feel a little bit oh oh they're currently in the infallibility phase of their popularity where you can't criticize them because then you're and I, I guess I'm contrarian, so I try to like I'll, I'll show you, but um. Overall, I think the guy gets top marks, right? Like, it's hard to argue mm-hmm. with with how he's communicated. Um, I'm so cynical. So when I see him in uh, – I actually like that he doesn't dress up when he goes to visit countries. I like that. He's casual. Yeah, I,
1: I, there, there was something when he spoke to the uh, the U.S. Congress, a uh, few people didn't like the fact that he was in a suit, right? And Because if Americans okay. are known
0: for anything, it's stellar etiquette.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, there's yeah, you, you're going to get those those sort of people that will criticize that kind of stuff. But I, yeah, I don't think that's a big issue, right? So,
0: okay, um, we we have to leave in about four minutes. Uh, before we go, I'd like to know how your life has changed. How transformational has this last year or so been for you and your family? is it like life-defining is it a fold in the chapter and it's almost like a new life you know because it must be pretty substantial uh where you are now and and knowing that two years ago you could never obviously predict that you'd be where you are now
1: yeah i, I would definitely say it's it's life-defining uh there's elements of all of this that are, are quite uh, quite amazing just the, the the types of people you meet um, you know uh, how you're helping people. Um, you know, you know. I I I've been acknowledged. Uh, I was actually it's, it's interesting. I was given a medal uh, by the, uh, the Ukrainian uh, defense minister uh, for my service to the country, to the military. Wow. Uh, and, and that's that's amazing, right? I, I was I was very shocked and quite honored. Uh, to have received that. But yeah, it, it's definitely life defining. Um, and at times I feel that you're, you're so, uh, your head's so in the game that uh, at times when we leave the country and we're in Poland or another country, it, it, it's interesting, right? Because you see people smiling and happy and going on vacations and you know, you're on social media. And it's almost bothersome, right? It, yeah. it, it plays on you, right? Because, you know, there's a normality out there and, you know, life is not normal here and everyone should be on the same page, but that's not the way life works. Right. Um, so that, that's, that's interesting as well. But, um, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing sort of last, almost going to be a year now, uh, since the war broke out. And, uh, uh, all the experiences—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's obviously hard to touch on, you know, every single one of them, and all the different ones that, uh, that I've, uh, uh, you know, encompassed. But, uh, but yeah, de- definitely life-defining and, and, and quite uh, quite interesting.
0: Alex feziak from Heart of the World, Ukraine. Thank you very much for joining us. I would love to. Uh, we we have plans on doing another show with James sometime in the future. So. Um, please give him my best and tell him thank you for everyone back at home and thank you for coming today. Thank you for coming on Blackball
1: today. Excellent, thanks, James. Thanks for having me, man. See you. Alex. All right.
0: Um, what a good man. You know, um, sort of like half fortunate and half brilliant. You know, like he he was already doing um, a job that could be slid in to um, a priority box as it pertained to Ukrainian military needs, uh, regarding equipment. Um, and to just be able to slide in to that role, uh, and, and, and do things that prove to be patriotic for, um, again, he has two home countries, U- Ukraine and Canada, but to do something instrumental, uh, for your country during a time of, mo- of war, just, I mean, when you're not a soldier, it can be tough to find some sort of like pride, like, am I a cog in this wheel of fighting back against this invader or am I not? And, uh, you know, some people struggle with that, but Alex and, and his fiance uh, seem to be uh, living exactly the kind of life they're supposed to be living right now. Like, there, there's uh, no doubt in my mind that, um, you know, these two people, it's no accident that they're doing what they're doing. And uh, as I mentioned on the show, um, but I don't think I could be at this point because I think it's both huge, and um and and important, is that they have personal face to face relationships with the people who direct benefitly from them importing equipment. That is, uh, sounds rare. I, as I as I was speaking with Alex, I asked him about how rare it was, and he's like, "No, some people have these um these relationships." But in that's in that sort of ecosystem, you know, like it's uh, every good salesman understands that a fate nothing can beat a face to face, especially if you're good at sales. This doesn't feel like that. This feels more like, um, you know, the personal communications with not even a client. Uh, you know, the client is the military itself. These are the end users. And, um, you know, it demonstrates uh, something that goes beyond commerce or beyond the uh, mandate of a, of a charity. Uh, I, I think it, it demonstrates and sort of symbolizes uh, we're in this together. We're not just, you know, you're not just a line item to us. So I give him props for that. Um, so thank you alex again for joining us tonight on blackball the second half of our double header we have canadian screenwriter frank caruso uh when i went to his book page today and uh and there was a i don't have it open so i'm not gonna say her name because i don't remember it but um there was a woman sort of, sort of featured prominently all over his photography page and uh, i think her name was andrea johnson i think but let's just say andrea and i i talked to him on the phone and i said frank I, pretty sure that woman's your muse. She has a very musish sort of feel to her. And it turns out it's his fiance. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you know how dangerous it is to have your fiance be your muse? I mean, the muse might not last that long, buddy. Um, Because I like to project my relationship issues onto other people. Um, But Frank's going to talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be an independent Canadian film producer uh, it's not an easy job. We were talking about the wage gap that exists in the Canadian producer industry or field. Uh, you know, you have one end of the spectrum that they don't even, like, grind. It's just that, you know, funds exist, and then they'll get called and be like, do you have anything to pitch to this? Yeah, yeah, I'll pitch that. Okay, you're probably going to get it. Like, I, I, I'm i sort of surmising that it's fixed uh, because it kind of is. You know, people get uh, – people get cash in the in the canadian grant system for film and tv often based on reputation will this uh generate a return on the investment of the grant whatever it's a grant so i don't really know how that works but in any event it's free money and uh yeah so it'll be interesting to sort of take a peek behind the curtain of canadian production i'm really interested in knowing if the reason that a canadian production and american production both shot in the city of toronto why you can tell after four seconds which one is the Canadian production and if that is solely to do with money uh, or the size of the budget. I'm just curious because often it's the same people that are doing these films. So, okay, that's 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, we we will have Frank Crusoe. It's Casual Friday, obviously, is on Friday. Is that tomorrow? Is this, is this Thursday? Oh, my God. it's great. I don't have to book any more last-minute guests. I'm so happy, guys. Uh, I don't know if we have a theme for... Uh, for Casual Friday this week. I don't really do any other drugs except for shrooms and uh, and weed. And I, I don't want to do shrooms again. I also don't want to turn Casual Friday into some sort of branding project for my illicit drug use. That probably wouldn't go over well in the long run. Uh, you know, I'll Hopefully cocaine doesn't land in my lap because I can't say no to cocaine, but it hasn't landed in my lap since I've lived in a forest, surprisingly. <laughs> so that's fine. So Frank Caruso tonight at 9 p.m., and then tomorrow, Casual Friday, also at 9 p.m. And we will see you next time on Black Ball.
1: Black Ball. Black
0: Black Black Ball. Black 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 Black
1: Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirtbags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us
0: as we exhume the truth. It is your favorite girl. That's right, it's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating